I'm Dave Orsborn. And I'm Amanda Miller. Thanks for being with us here in the St. Gabriel Cafe. Joining us now, here in Columbus, our bishop, Bishop Earl K. Fernandez, just returned from World Youth Day in Portugal. Good morning, Bishop. Good morning. Welcome back to Ohio. Well, it's good to be back. It took me three days to actually return from World Youth Day, so it's good to finally be back. Did the pilot get lost? No, I I flew from Lisbon to Montreal. Uh, There were storms on the east coast of the United States, so I missed my my connecting flight was canceled. I had to stay in a hotel in Montreal. I said, look, I just need to get back to Columbus. I don't need to fly to Newark in order to get back to Columbus. So (laughs) they found me a flight the next day to Toronto to Columbus. I flew to Toronto, and my flight Toronto to Columbus was canceled. Uh, and then uh, they booked me on a flight the next day uh, through LaGuardia back in New York, back to, back to Columbus. So I'm finally back. Well, welcome back. Um, random question for you. Tea or coffee? Uh, coffee, mostly. Uh, my family, my dad's side of the family in India ran a coffee and tea shop. So mostly really? I drink coffee these days. Oh, wow. That's so fun. Okay, well, if you were to sit in that coffee shop, what saint would you bring along to enjoy your cup of coffee with? That's an interesting question. I suppose uh, St. Therese, the little flower, would be one, uh, because she would listen and uh, kind of say simple things, but yet profound. That's one. The second one, though, is sometimes in coffee shops you have great conversations, and so uh, maybe Thomas Aquinas. I could ask him a question, and then he'd give his answer, and then he'd say, said contra, but on the other hand, and then he'd give a response. (laughs) So so maybe those two would probably be the, the two that come to mind first yeah wealth of wisdom there world youth day in portugal uh was this your first world youth day this was my first world youth day i had some inclination to go in denver i didn't go in rome i didn't go toronto when i first became a priest but i didn't go so many opportunities to go and then i said look i'm still a relatively young bishop might as well go when i'm physically able to do it and so this was the first one and it was a great experience did you bring other pilgrims with you, or did you meet them there so, to talk about so the pilgrimage? So in Columbus, we had about 50 people, 15 seminarians, and then uh, 35 uh, Hispanics. They did their own fundraising, and they, they were there. So uh, that was good. Um, we bishops had to stay separately, so my one regret is that I didn't get to spend as much time with our own Columbus pilgrims as, as, uh, as I would have liked. So you had the opportunity to have uh, fellowship with other bishops. Yeah, we, they had all the bishops in one hotel, and then for the various, for the opening mass, as well as for the ceremonies with the Pope, they had us seated in a special uh, section. Uh, even the gathering of all the Americans uh, on last Wednesday, um, they had the bishops up on the stage and all the American pilgrims all gathered in the park, and we had Eucharistic adoration and a procession, and Bishop Barron gave a reflection, so it was a nice gathering of just the Americans at that time. Now, they offered these accommodations to the bishops. Was it mostly because you then could have lights out at a reasonable time and quiet? No, I mean, some of it, some of it's that, but some of it is also just security-related issues, you know. Uh, uh, okay. And yep. then some of the bishops are older, and so uh, we, we bishops were downtown. The United States Conference Catholic Bishops organized something for us. They had a help desk for us. They arranged a private mass chapel for us if necessary uh, and, and some meals for us. So it was good. Okay. Well, then hopefully it also provided a time for uh, just fraternal um, connection. Yeah, I think uh, the the spirit of fraternity amongst the bishops was great. I really got to know some of my brother bishops much, much better. 
Uh, during some of our free time, we could go and uh, walk around uh, Lisbon. I went to the cathedral, went to the birthplace of uh, St. Anthony of uh, Padua, mm-hmm. really called St. Anthony of Lisbon, in Lisbon. And, uh, and I was with Archbishop Charles Thompson of Indianapolis. And so um, they allowed us, because we were bishops, to go and venerate the relic of St. Anthony's finger. So it was, uh, you know, that was a great uh, experience. Don't you just love our faith that we can just go venerate a finger? <laughs> Yeah. I just had to point that out. <laughs> uh, point, point, point. Christianity, Catholicism is an incarnational, uh, is an incarnational rele- uh, religion, and so we also, uh, you know, we have a, a need to, you know, pray in certain places and uh, and to look up at uh, the saints as uh, images and uh, 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 persons who really live the faith to be imitated. Please help us out with the geography um, of Portugal. How far is Lisbon from Fatima? Uh, we took a bus. I went with our seminarians up to Fatima, and by bus it took us about an hour and a half uh, to okay. get there. It's not that actually that far, but you're on a bus with a bunch of people, um, and so. Uh, but we did go up there again last Wednesday. I, I, I took an Uber over to the where the seminarians were staying, and we got on the bus. They they had gone with uh, Christophonic and Jason Everett. They uh, had organized the pilgrimage, and so the seminarians decided um, to, uh, to to go uh, with them. Uh, but, uh, you know, Lisbon to uh, Fatima, they say 80 miles. Okay. What a blessing for you to be able to spend some s- concentrated time uh, with our seminarians. Just, just You know, it was really good. In particular, the day I spent most with them was in the day and full day in Fatima. And uh, Fatima, the old church, of course, is very beautiful, and, and uh, Francisco and Jacinta are buried there. And so it's a very, you're, you're amazed by the beauty of the place, but also the silence of the place. And then we had mass. Uh, there was an international mass in the, in, the, in, the new, in the new church, in the new big basilica. So, um, and people pilgrims from all around the world there. You know, so mass was in English and Portuguese and Spanish and, and, and so on. But uh, at least there were at least uh, four other American bishops there at that particular uh, mass. And for me, I was sharing with uh, seminarians how, for me, the, how I was surprised at how moved I was at Fatima, simply because so much of my childhood was spent not only praying the rosary, but praying for the conversion of Russia. Mm. Uh, and then, when I was a senior in high school, uh, the Berlin Wall fell, and Eastern Europe became free. And so that was a, a very moving experience. Like we cried out to the, to the Holy Virgin, she heard our, our prayers, and God answered them through her intercession. And so I even had uh, one of the seminaries take my picture in front of a fragment of the Berlin Wall that's there at Fatima. And so, in that way, you would say you'd have you have a special connection to Our Lady of Fatima. Yeah, not only that, but, you know, there's the prayer that we pray during the Rosary, Oh, my Jesus, forgive us our sins, uh, as well as I have memories of grade school, uh, the nuns all hauling us into the gym and watching the film, The Story of Fatima. So, um, you know, our whole family was, was very devoted. So uh, I find, And I've never been to any of the big Marian pilgrimage sites like Lourdes or Fatima before. The only one I'd ever been to really was Knock in Ireland. So uh, that, that was very moving for me. What would be some of the takeaways uh, from, from I mean, your one time? Of, one of the things is I was impressed by the enthusiasm of the young people. Sometimes a young person practices faith, thinks I'm all alone, and there were a million and a half young people from all over the world, and I think they have a great sense of solidarity. So I think all of us bishops were like, there is hope here in our young people. A second thing I think that uh, from one of the, uh, the, the Pope's message at the prayer vigil uh, 
on Saturday night was that our joy is missionary. You know, we really have to have a missionary joy as Christians. He's always been calling us to be missionary disciples. But Mary, you know, the theme was uh, Mary got up in haste. And so our young people, you know, they do things with great speed and energy. But like the Blessed Virgin Mary, they also need to do that with joy and bring the joy of the gospel to others. The Pope also, in his homily on Transfiguration Day, which is Sunday at the Mass, uh, you know, he said that we have to let the light of Christ shine. Uh, we have to listen uh, to uh, the voice of God. And at the same time, we need to not be afraid to go out and proclaim, you know. And so I think that's the essential thing, is these young people need to not be afraid to be witnesses uh, to the faith. That was a great uh, takeaway uh, for me uh, from the World Youth Day experience. It's... Oh, go ahead, Amanda. Bishop, could you share with us, because those are very beautiful points, this idea of having our joy should be missionary and in our haste to serve to do it with joy and to let the light shine and do not be afraid. Uh, but we also, I think, live in a world that, it, you know, there's some darkness and depression is on the rise. And, you know, how how can we, I guess, just display that joy or, or even foster that joy in our own lives so that we can let our light shine? I mean, I think one of the things is we have to think about what is the source of joy? Mm-hmm. It's God himself. We, as, as Catholics, when we offer the Mass, when we celebrate the Eucharist, we, the Eucharist is a sacrament of our joy. It's the source of our joy. It's what renews us and keeps our, our hearts young. You know, we're sent forth at the end of the Mass, having celebrated uh, the sacrament of God's love for His Bride, the Church. So we should be filled with a nuptial joy. So attending the Mass, receiving the Eucharist, praying to God who fills our hearts with joy. Mary says, you know, she... Rather than after, the, after she's overshadowed by the Holy Spirit and conceives the Word of God uh, in her womb, uh, she doesn't say, well, what is everybody going to think about me? And she doesn't look inward. She looks outward, and she goes and goes and visits Elizabeth. You know, in that sense, Mary is also a model for us in, in imitate, in, in, to be imitated. Uh, she goes forth. She's not looking inward, but she's going out uh, to bring uh, the joy of the whole world uh, to uh, with her as she goes, and she goes and she serves her kinswoman Elizabeth and brings joy. John the Baptist leaps for joy in the womb. Even when Mary visits um, Elizabeth, she also says, My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Uh, and so Mary is one who is filled with joy, but again, her, she's humbly receptive to receiving God's word, to being overshadowed by the Holy Spirit. So I think this is one of the keys to our joy. I think another thing is that we spend an awful lot of time with television and with social media and so on, and what do we have? We have a lot of negativity, a lot of fake news, a lot of neg- uh, you know, people bringing us down, uh, not really concerned. This is one of the things that the Pope said, interestingly, on the first day. He said, look, God calls us each by name, and lots of people call us, but how many people really know us? God knows us, and he loves us, and the fact that we are loved by God can bring our hearts joy, that we are created by God for love, and we are, in fact, loved. And this, this is what really uh, drives out the fear and the negativity. I think you're hitting on something so beautiful and important because the human heart just has such a desire to be seen, known, and loved. And many times, yeah, we're reaching outside, you know, social media, relationships to, to find that. But really, as you're reminding us, as our Good Shepherd, it's just turn to the Lord who will be the fulfillment of our heart. Turn to the sacraments. Yeah, but I also, I, I do also want to say this, is that 
the church herself is the presence of joy in the human, presence of Christ in the human reality. So that we often experience joy in and through the members of the church. One of the things that was interesting to me about World Youth Day is how many people were there post-COVID. Mm. You know, rather than being living in isolation or living in a virtual reality, young people from all around the world gathered in person to celebrate, uh, to be together as Catholics, to profess their faith and witness to Jesus, to have a real sense of fraternity. Uh, and uh, for me, just as important as the events with the Pope was, uh, was walking back to the hotel through the streets of Lisbon. There we would meet young people from all around the world with their different flags. We'd speak to them in the different languages. Uh, we'd stop and chat with them, uh, answer their questions, take pictures with them. They'd exchange different gifts and tokens and things. Uh, and so it was a very moving experience to see the universality of the Church and to experience the sense of fraternity, to not live in isolation. And so I hope that the young people who attended World Youth, they really see how much Jesus says, two or, where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in the midst of them, and how present Christ was in our midst, and how he remains present in the church. So what's your hope then, coming home, or you know, the hope for the youth, or whoever was at uh, World Youth Day, how to bring that joy into our churches? Well, I think part of the thing is they, they have to come back and they have to give their testimony to people. They have to let people know what it was that they experienced there, um, how you could have silence and adoration, and people desire that greatly, but at the same time how you can go and tell other people about your faith and not be ashamed or embarrassed about it. I think this is also um, one of the things I hope is that, that whether it's amongst the Latino population or our seminarians, that they'll go out and tell other people what their experience was like. Now, there will, the next World Youth Day, of course, will be in Seoul, in South Korea. But even in the, there'll be a jubilee year in um, 2025 uh, in Rome, and I, it's certainly my hope that there'll be a youth, and there will, the Cardinal Farrell announced there'll be a youth gathering uh, for the jubilee year. So hopefully we can, uh, we can build on the momentum of this World Youth Day uh, and gather in Rome and then gather again in Seoul. Again, I would have hoped that there would have been a larger participation from Columbus, but there's just so many things going on, but if that's one thing I could tell to the listeners or the parents who are listening is send your kids to World Youth Day. It will be a life-changing experience. Outstanding. Bishop Earl K. Fernandez is in the St. Gabriel Cafe with us this morning. We're talking about his experiences at World Youth Day. And Bishop, can you believe it's almost back to school time? Yeah, you know, it's hard to believe, but yeah, I mean, we're, we're, uh, we're what, 11 days into August? Start, but when I was a kid, we didn't start until after Labor Day. But it's almost back to school time. I think our teachers and educators, the week uh, around August 20th, 21st, are going to get together. You know, they go to the shops and there's back to school uh, savings already. Um, and so it, it's that time. Um, we're, we're very excited about our Catholic school enrollment here in the Diocese of Columbus is, is, is up. Uh, so we're very excited to be starting a, a new school year. As they start, you know, they're going to the teachers uh, and administrators are going to have a, um, uh, a conference, and the theme of it is, uh, "We're not our hearts burning within us." Uh, and and part of that is related to the these uh, Eucharistic revival years that we're we're having. We already had completed the diocesan phase with uh, ten days worth of masses followed by Eucharistic processions. At the conclusion of which, uh, at the end of June, I wrote a letter to all the faithful uh, for the month in honor of the Sacred Heart, reflecting not only on the devotion to the Sacred Heart, but also on its connection with the Eucharist and the experience in the diocese. Now, this year, we're entering into the parish phase of the Eucharistic Revival Year, and then uh, next summer, next July, we'll have the, uh, the Eucharistic Congress in Indianapolis.
and I'm looking for the dates. My understanding is actually the procession leading to Indianapolis will be coming through Columbus. Yeah, I think it's coming through Columbus. I want to say off the top of my head, like uh, June 28th, 29th, 30th, somewhere around the Feast of St. Peter and Paul next year. You nailed it. Friday, June 28th, Saturday the 29th, and Sunday the 30th. So, Can anyone jump in on that procession? I believe so, yeah. It's not clear exactly how they're going to organize because there's some, sometimes it's, I mean, you have the procession, but there are also going to be moments for mass as well as moments for service because, you know, the part of what the Eucharist should do is transform our hearts and equip us to carry out our mission. And so part of the Eucharistic revival procession is also going to have moments of, of service, especially of the poor. Bishop, I also wanted to get your thoughts. Um, you've spoken a lot about spiritual entrepreneurship, and one of the components that you've spoken about, and this goes back earlier in our conversation around vocations, how, how's that developing? Well, I'm happy to report that uh, it's just with our seminarians. All our seminarians are gathered for a kind of a summit out at St. Therese Retreat Center here in Columbus. I'm happy to report that we have 15 new seminarians this year. Yay! So uh, when I began, we had 17 <laughs> seminarians. Last year, we started the year with 25. A couple guys discerned out. One got ordained. Uh, but we just started with 38, um, which is great. I mean, people are, young people are responding. Mm. Uh, that is call. outstanding. You know, see the need in our diocese. Of course, for me, that creates a, a, an issue because, say, we have 15 new seminarians. Tuition is about $45,000 a year plus their health insurance. So that's 60000 a year plus for 15 new guys. It's nine, an extra $900,000 a year. Uh, so we've got to go out and raise some money to help educate and form our seminarians. But I'm impressed by the generosity. And some of that is a result of, you know, Father Hans been working very hard uh, as our vocation director. Father O'Connor is the assistant vocation director. They made use of kind of more regional priests to kind of recruit, to, to meet with young men who are discerning. Uh, we have the Melchizedek Project. They gathered monthly for prayer and to, to discuss uh, Father Brett Brandon's book, uh, To Save a Thousand Souls. Uh, we've had the Quovatis Retreats, wow. uh, which we had another one at the Josephine just a couple of weeks ago for our high school-age students who are discerning. Uh, as well as the um, the kind of come and see weekends at the Josephinum. So all of those collective efforts um, have have really begun to to bear fruit. Our you know, priests who live their vocation joyfully will um, will attract. Uh, one priest who spoke to um, uh, to the seminarians yesterday was Monsignor Jim Walter. He was 87 years old, but at the come and see weekend at the Josephinum last spring, he brought three three guys from Sugar Grove. He's 87. He's still out there trying to find, you know, young people who are willing to, to serve as priests. And so that's, that's really done well. And the more priests we can have in the diocese, the more parishes we can keep open, the more we can commit priests to doing chaplaincy work, whether it's in our high schools or in our, um, in our hospitals, prisons, these sorts of things. We're, you know, we're at a kind of a skeleton crew right now. We've benefited greatly and we're able to survive because of the presence of a religious priests, but also missionary priests from around the world who are coming here. Our diocese is, one of the ways that our diocese is so special is we have urban, suburban, and rural. Are we getting young men from each of those three areas? I would say so. Um, we're, we, you know, we are getting them from all those areas, uh, and some are younger and some are older. Like we have one guy who's you know, in his late 30s from Portsmouth uh, who's, who's just starting the seminary now. Uh, we're, we're getting some from the, the 
you know, suburbs like areas like Sunbury and so on. A lot depends on the priest and reaching out. When I went up to Marion for the Andrew dinner, so every now, but three or four times a year, I'll go and I'll have, um, I'll have uh, a meal with young people and give a talk on vocations and so on. And when I went to Marion, we had like seven English speakers, seven Hispanics. Uh, show up. So even place, rural places like that are fostering uh, fostering vocations. A lot of times we talk about how can parents and grandparents uh, encourage vocations. I'd like to ask you about siblings. How, how can siblings encourage each other? I mean, I how think, did I your siblings... Something similar, you don't want to beat a young person over the head with it, right, or put undue pressure on them. But if you, if you see the characteristics in someone, where they're virtuous, they're prayerful, and so on, you might simply say, you know, have you ever thought about being a priest? Or you have the, you have the characteristics uh, that would make a good priest. You know, or you could lead. Mm-hmm. I think you're, you're, you're a prayerful person. I think you could lead. I think that's how siblings can, can encourage. Uh, my brothers uh, never really discouraged me. I think they saw something in me. But in, uh, in our household, faith was common. A lot of the seminarians today, you know, they come from broken families where, where their parents uh, are divorced sometimes or not really practicing. Some of the seminarians are converts. Sometimes you have siblings who have fallen away from the church, and so they don't have necessarily the support they need. When you do have a, pra- a sibling who's practicing, you know, they're very, very proud, and they offer you words of encouragement. Okay, stick with us, stick with it once you enter in. But there's a lot of fear because most people don't understand what the life of a seminarian or a priest is like. Outstanding. Finally, uh, Bishop Fernandez, in the, in the minute or two that we have left, we also want to talk about Monday night at St. Mary's in Lancaster, the massive blessing and installation of the Basilica, of our new Basilica. Yeah, so, uh, you know, it's not a new Basilica in the sense that the church itself is about 200, the base has been <laughs> there point. for 200 yep. years. Yes, it was a year ago on the vigil of the Assumption that I was able to read the decree. I remember I'd been away uh, the, uh, the first week of August. I returned, and I had my mail, and I opened up the mail, and there was something from the Nunciature, and inside the, the was a Latin decree. And I immediately translated. I called uh, Father Eilerman, and he thought I might, he didn't recognize the number, but he said, how will just answer it? And I said, well, I, we got the decree. You've been approved for it to be a basilica. Uh, I was scheduled to go there on August 14th. So we read the decree at that time. Uh, but there are certain things that are associated with a basilica, including the umbrellino, there's a particular umbrella, and the tintinabula, which are the bells. Uh, and so we'll bless those uh, insignia uh, at, the, at, the, at the Mass for the Vigil of the Assumption uh, there at St. Mary's on Monday night. Yep, that's happening Monday night, August 14th at 7 p.m. All are invited, and please try to come early if, if you are planning on going. Uh, I believe the music will start around 6.30 the Mass will be live-streamed, uh, both through the diocesan website as well as through YouTube, and we'll have further details about that on Monday. Bishop, yeah, and, and, you know, St. Mary's a beautiful basilica that's been restored by uh, Bill Heyer, who's a Columbus uh, Catholic architect, uh, but the choir there at St. Mary's, I've been there for a number of times, they have a phenomenal uh, choir, and so I'd encourage as many of the faithful in the Columbus area, you know, to, to, to head down there. The basilica really is a jewel and I believe uh, I, uh, that there is an indulgence associated with visiting the Basilica on that particular day. Even better. Outstanding. Bishop Fernandez, thanks for being in the cafe with us today. Thanks for having me on. I hope this is the first of many. I hope so also. Uh, can you leave us with your blessing? Sure. 
In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Almighty and eternal God, you raised up St. Clair uh, as a virgin in your church who witnessed to the joy of poverty and to the joy of friendship with your servant, St. Francis. St. Clair was devoted to the Eucharist. Pour out that same spirit which you poured into her heart, into our hearts, that we might be greatly devoted to the Eucharist and embrace in a radical way poverty and so come to understand the richness that your Son is in our life. We ask this in all things through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. May Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. And thank you so much, um, Bishop, just for being a good shepherd to us. And I'm sure you carry a lot of burdens that we don't even see and heavy crosses. And so just thank you for, for shepherding us well. You're most welcome. Please keep me in your prayers, okay? God bless you. Yes. Got it. God bless. Thanks, Bishop. Right, bye-bye. Wow, friends. Amanda, we had quite the hour Dan Boyden Jr. and the Bishop. It's been so fun. Dan Boyden Jr. is the opening act now for here at the, uh, the St. Gabriel Cafe. I, I, I love the enthusiasm uh, that we heard uh, from two Catholic men yeah. today. Uh, the joy, the, uh, the, the fire, you know, that, that, that's burning in each of these men to, to be missionaries, to bring others to Christ. In, in very different roles, and as husband and father, as friend and brother, and as our spiritual father and friend and brother, uh, we're so blessed in, in, in this diocese. Friends, don't forget just how blessed uh, we are. Please pray for our bishop. Please pray for the men of our diocese that, that we can all be leaders uh, in the vocations where God has placed us. So... Thank you so much for being in the St. Gabriel Cafe with us today. Happy Feast Day of St. Clair to all of you. Look for her letters to Agnes. You won't regret it. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, a world without end. Amen. Go get them.